What does God require of us but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our king? The king of kings, God is, you know, super, super rich. Yet he has decided to come down and meet us where we're at. Amen. What a wonderful God we serve. Hallelujah. For those of you that are visiting or uh, don't know, we're going through the Bible verse by verse, and we are up to John chapter 15, beginning at verse 18. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up with me to John chapter 15 and verse 18. The gospel is called the good news. However, <laughs> this verse doesn't really sound like good news. <laughs> Here's Jesus. He's talking with his disciples before his crucifixion. He's going to be brutally murdered. He's going to be tortured. And uh, he's uh, trying to comfort his uh, disciples. And he says these words here. If the world hates you, that doesn't sound like great news. I don't want to be hated. I'd want to be loved. But Jesus said, if the world hates you, know this, that it hated him first. Before it hated us, they hated Jesus. If we were of the world, the world would love us as its own. But because we're not of the world, and Jesus chose us. Isn't that wonderful news? Jesus chose you and I. He said, I want you on my team. And it's not like he were the, the last, you know, the last person to be chosen. Anybody remember when you were a kid and all the kids are together and they're choosing sides and, you, and they got the biggest and the best? They're the captains of the team. And they start choosing people and there's this, this like one person left over and you hope it's not you. But Jesus chose you and I, amen? And because he chose us, the world hates us. But that's okay. Because <laughs> God's going to take revenge anyway, you know, and whatever. They'll get their just rewards. But it would be better if they got saved. And that's the good news about the gospel. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So let's get started. I have to take these off to see. Praise <laughs> God. Hallelujah. Father, thank you this morning for your faithfulness, your love, and your mercy, your goodness, and your great grace. Thank you that you are rich towards us in mercy. God, I pray this morning that the hearers would hear and would receive and be blessed and be built up in Jesus' holy name. Hallelujah. My um, grandson, Wayne, came over to my house last night. He's just turned 24 couple of weeks ago, he's studying computer science and working part-time, <clears throat> and I was just blessed that he came over, because we haven't seen him in such a long time, didn't even know he was even alive, you know? <laughs> but he came over, and he had some questions about the Bible. Said, All right, Wayne's reading his Bible, that's good. He told me, I was reading, uh, concentrating on reading Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and uh, he says, man, Proverbs is heavy. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff in Proverbs. And uh, Ecclesiastes, I showed him the last verse. Okay, this thing is just being unruly for you. This thing. <laughs> I want it to be bent down a little bit. Okay. 
Let's try that. Maybe if I don't wiggle my ears, it'll stay in place. <laughs> anyway, so Wayne, I showed Wayne the last verse in Ecclesiastes. This is the whole matter of the thing, you know, uh, serve God and do right. Praise God. But one of the interesting things that I read in that, um, the introduction uh, to the New Testament or the New Covenant. Now, can you still hear me? Okay, good. Um, so I gave him a copy of my new Oxford annotated Bible with the study guides and everything. And in the introduction to the New Testament or the New Covenant, it says this very interesting thing that I read in there about the style of writing on the Gospels. The Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were not written as biographies. They were written uh, as more of a proclamation of who Jesus is and what he appeared on earth for. And the main point was this, that the Gospels were written with the aim of changing the reader or of building faith. So I hope this morning that your faith will be built up as I'm preaching this morning on this particular passage. So Jesus warns of persecution. You are going to be persecuted if you are a believer in Jesus. It might not be physical persecution. It could be, you, here in this country, we're persecuted more by comfort. Where it's too comfortable and there's uh, somebody wrote a book, your God is too safe. You know, sometimes you have to take a risk in the kingdom of God. But the world is, uh, the Greek word for the world is the cosmos. And it's spelled with a K in, in, the, in the Greek there. And it means the orderly arrangement. It literally means a decoration. It implies the world, not the, the earth itself, but it, it implies the inhabitants of the world. And its main uh, idea is that it's about the morals of the world. You don't have to look very far. <laughs> Social media is filled with all kinds of immoral nonsense and garbage. Mr. Vine's uh, dictionary defines the world as the present condition of human affairs. And this is what's so interesting or so descriptive of the world's current ideas or the current uh, way things are going. The world is alienated. This is the mindset of people who are alienated from God and opposed to God. This is society today, especially in this country, you can see it. There's everyone who claims to be woke is opposing God for the most part. Amen? In chapter 8, verse 23, Jesus said that we are not of this world. Hallelujah. This is kind of like it says in Judges, chapter 17, verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. There was no, no uh, ruler and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's a dangerous place to be because Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, and chapter 16, verse 25 says these words, There is a way that seems right to a man, but it's the way of destruction. And we can see that working its way around society today. The world cannot hate you. 
Well, Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 7, the world hates me because I testify against it that its works are evil. Amen? That's what's happening in the world today. The works uh, or the society's um, deeds, it works. its works are evil. The people are adamantly opposed to Jesus. They don't want to be told what to do. They're in rebellion. Amen? Here's an interesting word um, <clears throat> that uh, Jesus said in chapter 14, verse 30, that the ruler of this world has no claim or no power over Jesus. So the interesting thing I found in Ryan's dictionary is that the word ruler is, uh, comes from, it's a combination of uh, the word cosmos and another word, and it's, it's, the word is cosmocrator or cosmocrator or whatever it is. It's the ruler of the whole world. It's the power, a spiritual power, which is under the permissive will of God. Anybody ever tell you or have you ever heard somebody say, if God's real, how come there's so much awful stuff going on around in the world. If God's so good, how come little kids get cancer? Well, there's something known as the permissive will of God. First of all, that's not God's fault. God doesn't do those things. God's a good God. God is a loving God. But sometimes we'll go through things that we don't understand that seem like they're awful and terrible, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't care. God allows things to happen. There's an enemy who's actually the author of all this evil stuff. But this, the ruler of this world, he's a spiritual power under the permissive will of God, and the consequence or the result of sin, and it exercises antagonistic authority over the present condition of spiritual darkness and alienation from God. But the good news is that there is a pantocrator, a ruler who rules over everything, not just this world. I like to watch uh, every evening on uh, YouTube, there's the Daily Events Worldwide. Hi, this is Mike with Daily Events Worldwide. Welcome to Surviving Another Day on Planet Earth. Today's whatever date. And he, sh he shows a picture of the sun. Wow, look at this. Here's a sunspot. Wow, look at this plasma filament. And there's a picture of the earth for like this tiny little thing over here. And here's the gigantic sun. We're just a little speck in the universe. But God, God looks down on us. God cares about us. And God is the ruler of the universe. The ruler, the prince of the power of the air, he doesn't have much power at all, though it does look like he might have. In Acts chapter 26, verse 18, Paul, he's standing before King Agrippa, and he's giving his defense. And he says, this was my commission from Jesus. Jesus said to Paul, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins. That's the blessing of salvation. That's the blessing of the kingdom of God. No other religion guarantees forgiveness. You have to work or do certain things, make sacrifices to try and pay for your own sins in every other world religion. But Jesus paid the price for us. That's good news. Because we can receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. 
The Schofield Study Bible defines cosmos or the world as the order or arrangement of unbelieving mankind based on the principles of force, greed, selfishness, ambition, and pleasure. This system is imposing and powerful with military might. It's often outward religious, outwardly religious. Many, many wars have been started over religion. This system is also scientific and cultured and elegant, but seething with natural or national commercial rivalries and ambitions and is upheld. The world is upheld. The world system is held together by armed force in any real crisis and is dominated by satanic principles. Some crazy young lady was videotaped on YouTube or Facebook, I forget where it was, her and her young man, they're dancing past the camera. I just sacrificed my child to Satan. she just come out of the abortion clinic. It's like, oh my goodness, and you're boasting of this? Whew. What a world we live in. That's the world. Hallelujah. But we have good news. Hallelujah. Jesus said, got the pointer here, the world hates you. That's okay. Let him. Then Jesus said, remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Okay, hold on right there. That's from John chapter 13 and verse 16, I think. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he goes on to say, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. However, there should be a however right here. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. That's the good news about the gospel, that there will be people that you'll encounter throughout your life that will receive the word of God from you. That's a promise. If they keep my word, after washing the disciples' feet in chapter 13, verse 16, Jesus said, if they keep my word, they will keep yours also. Whoever receives Jesus, whoever receives you, receives whoever sent you, and Jesus sent you and I. And whoever receives Jesus, receives the Father who sent Jesus. It's kind of like a, a chain, and it's a, what's that scripture? A threefold cord is not easily broken. It's strong. This is where our strength comes from, that it doesn't uh, depend on us. It depends on God. Hallelujah. If they keep your word, if they receive from you, they're not only just receiving from you, they're receiving from God. That's why I was so blessed to have my grandson come over yesterday and, and talk about the things of God. Because I've... <laughs> Some of my other grandchildren are not serving God. <laughs> and that, pray for them every day and believe God for them. But it, it, it hurts. Amen? If you have unsaved loved one, it hurts. But then when, when something like this happens and they're interested in the things of God, what a refreshing blessing that is. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's go on. All these things, wait a minute. There you go. If they keep my word, they'll keep yours also. 
All these things they will do to you on account of my name. The world hates Jesus because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse. The reason I think that people get upset with Jesus is because Jesus wants them to repent and stop sinning. But people like their sin. People are Actually, the Bible says whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. They're bound. Like Pastor Wayne has mentioned before when he was working in the restaurants and he would tell his fellow workers, you know, if you really think that you're free, try stop sinning for a week. <laughs> they couldn't do it. <laughs> There's no excuse. No excuse. Their conscience bothers them. And when people are irritated, they lash out. People that are hurt, if, if you touch that sore spot, Jesus said, you are salt. <laughs> Ever get lemon juice or salt in a cut? Man, it stings. When I was in the, the South Pacific, my friend and I, we uh, accidentally brushed up against some coral. Live coral got in his leg, and it started to fester. And so one of the local Tahitian people says, oh, that's easy to get rid of. Just squeeze some lemon juice in it. <laughs> and he did. Oh, man, it hurt. But it killed the coral. <laughs> What's that from the, uh, that movie, The Princess Bride? He, he gets, uh, hey, uh, aren't you the... Uh, Mad, uh, Miracle Max who works for the king says, oh, the king's kinking, sting, stinking son fired me. And he says, thank you for reminding me of such a painful experience. Why don't you give me a paper cut and pour lemon juice in it? That's, that's what happens when, when we talk to people or we try and deal with them or, 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 or witness to them. Or, and they say, well, who are you to judge me? He says, I'm not judging you. I'm trying to point you to the Savior who can set you free from sin. Trying to bless your life. I'm sorry that you have this sore spot and the salt is hurting. But there's healing for you available. Hallelujah. How do they have no excuse for their sin? Oops, sorry. They had no excuse for their sin because Jesus came and did works or signs that no one else did. The interesting thing about John's gospel is that he um, writes down these miracles that Jesus did that are not in the other gospels. And these signs are proof that Jesus is who he says he is. Hallelujah. He claims that the Father sent him in verse 21. Back up here to verse 21. Somebody sent Jesus, and that's the Father. Interesting note, 43 times in John's writings, in John's gospel, 43 times, Jesus tells everybody, the Father sent me. I think he's trying to make a point. <laughs> 43 times, and they still don't get it. He proved beyond a doubt that he is the Messiah. And the great sin that they have no excuse for is that they reject that. 
They don't want him to be the Messiah because he doesn't fit their, their ideology. He doesn't fit the image that they think the Messiah is supposed to have. They would not have sinned. They wouldn't be guilty if they realized who Jesus was. Sin causes guilt. Amen? People, if, when, even as Christians, if we sin, then we feel guilty. And we're not supposed to stay in that. If you sin, repent. Say, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. Go on. And live for God. Hallelujah. Jesus proved beyond doubt that he was the Messiah, that he was God in the flesh, because no man could do these things that Jesus did, raising the dead. More than once he raised somebody from the dead. I haven't raised anybody from the dead. I never heard of anybody else raising anybody from the dead, nor the religion that I know of where they've raised people from the dead. We, uh, many years ago, um, there was a, uh, a gentleman, uh, Dr. Leon von Royen. He's uh, now, he's from South Africa. He's based in Florida, I believe. He's got uh, worldwide missionary uh, affiliates. And he was in Africa for a pastor's conference. And I might have told this story once before. And he's, he's, there's a guy comes into the pastor's conference and he's dressed in rags. And he didn't know anything about him. And he told some of the other uh, pastors there, he says, make sure this guy gets something to eat. And the other pastors look at him. Dr. Leon, this is a mighty man of God. This guy has prayed for people. Five people, I believe he said. And he prayed for them and they came back to life. He said that uh, the Muslims even invite him to come in and pray for dead people. Hallelujah. We serve a powerful God, Amen. a very powerful God, more powerful than the cosmo, whatever he called, the cosmocrator, <laughs> the ruler of this world. He's been defeated, amen? amen? He's been defeated. The enemy's been disarmed. The sure don't look like it. No, it doesn't look like it, but he has been. So don't be surprised brethren or fellow believers, if the world hates you. It's not a surprise because they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he goes on and he says, whoever hates me hates the Father also. If I had not done among them the signs, the works, they wouldn't have be guilty. But now they hate both me and the Father. But that word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. This just blows my mind. They're fulfilling prophecy. Even at the crucifixion, you'll see, they're fulfilling prophecy. They come along wagging their, their, their tongue and mocking Jesus on the cross. They, right there in front of their eyes, the Roman soldiers are gambling for his garments. A direct prophecy being fulfilled right before their eyes, and they still refuse to believe. This... Uh, Hated me without a cause is uh, twice in the, where did I put my notes here? Darn it. There it is. Prophecy fulfilled. <laughs> Psalm 35, verse 19. Psalm 69, verse 4. More than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without a cause, David the king wrote. He had some enemies. Praise God. For some of us, there's 
less hairs than there were before. And so that's a lot of people to hate people. More than the hairs of my head. I just read the other day that India is about to surpass China in total population. Now, if you don't think that there is an enemy to the kingdom of God, think about this. The reason that Mr. Modi got elected as the big shot over all of India is because he ran on a political platform that says every Indian, every person who's of Indian descent must be a Hindu. And so here you have an entire nation, an entire race of people that are, are, are subjected or, 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 yes, they're subjected to an attack and an, an enslavement of a multitude of people to false gods. False God, a whole nation, a whole people group. I believe there's over a billion, if not more. A whole people group that hates God. Not because they, I don't know, I, I've met a few Hindus. I even used to practice yoga and meditation and stuff. And it's like, those things really didn't like me. Here's the... the Strangest thing in the world. I don't know how many gods they have. But their gods don't love them. You have to do all these rituals and sacrifices and, and pay your own way. And I've, I heard a, a, a man who became a, was a Hindu and became a Christian. And he said that was the most amazing thing I ever heard. That there was a God who loved me. He said, I've had other Christians, he said, attack my beliefs said about all these false gods. But when that one Christian told me that there's a God who loves me, that made a difference, he said. And he pursued and he thought and he searched and God sought him out and saved him. Hallelujah. Because the God that we serve doesn't hate. The only thing God hates is sin because of what it does to people. Then Jesus reiterates his promise of sending the Holy Spirit, the helper. And we discussed that uh, several weeks ago about the helper, that power that God has available for us. The helper. When God repeats something, it's a sign of assurance. And some of the things that the Holy Spirit will do will bear witness about Jesus. There's a verse, I believe it's in uh, one of John's letters. It says that uh, when you testify about Jesus, it's, it's as though you are prophesying. The spirit of prophecy is telling people about Jesus. The good news here is that he says, you also, say me also, me also, you and I also will bear witness we will be able to testify a more plentiful outpouring of his gifts, according to Matthew Henry. We are co-workers with God. He is our advocate or counselor. The Holy Spirit is, helps us to testify. The Holy Spirit also sanctifies, makes us holy. Amen? It's the blood of Jesus that has allowed us to get into this. 
we also will bear witness. Christ honors us. When you tell somebody about Jesus, you can talk to people about God. I've said this before. You talk to people about God, and they'll, they'll talk to you about God. But when you start talking to them about Jesus, it makes a difference. That bumper sticker coexist is such a nonsense because you can coexist. However, Jesus, uh, the Bible says that Jesus must have the preeminence because he existed before the foundation of the world was even laid. Jesus is eternal. So here's a, a question came up. Okay, um, how can an omnipotent, eternal God exist, you know, in eternity, which we can't really understand? How can an infinite God be a finite God at the same time? In other words, how could God step out of infinity and eternity onto earth? Because he's God. He could do whatever he wants. And the proof is this. The Bible says in Exodus, I believe it's chapter 3, that God was in the bush talking to Moses. God was literally, not figuratively, literally really in the burning bush that was burning but didn't disintegrate like most burning things do and turn into carbon. God was in the bush. So if God can exist in a bush here on earth and at the same time be the infinite God, then it's possible for God to step into our existence, our universe, step into a human body here on earth and live and walk and talk and breathe and eat among us. What if Jesus ever burped? We'll leave it at that. Jesus was a human being like us. And all the power of God lived inside of him. Christ honors us. Amen. There's a saying in the advertising business, a business without a sign is a sign of no business. There's another saying that says, uh, I will make mention of your name. Word of mouth advertising is one of the most effective advertising schemes that there is. But listen to what it says in Jeremiah chapter 20 verse 9 and I hope this is how you feel. Jeremiah writes, he said, then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it in and I could not. I hope to God that every believer in Jesus Christ has that burning inside of them where God, the Holy Spirit, whispers in the ear and says, tell that person that I love them. Tell that person about Jesus. Take some of those little cards that we have about Living Hope Family Church. It's a great way to say, you know, hand it to somebody and say, the cashier at the cash register, God loves you. Anybody ever tell you God loves you? And sometimes they'll, like, what? No. I remember the first time somebody said that to me. I had studied to be a Catholic priest for a year. I failed out, but I started reading the Bible, and I remember reading The Wages of Sin is Death. Oh, great. And then somebody stopped me on the street and said, you know, God loves you. And I thought, nah, you don't know anything about me. God can't love me. God wants to punish me because the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I hope to God and I pray that every believer in Jesus will have that burning fire shut up in their bones that the Word of God will richly dwell in their hearts so that at the right moment, at the opportune time, when the Holy Spirit urges you, say something, here's what you say. And that you will be weary of holding it in and you would not be able to. Amen. So we've been warned. Hallelujah. Let's go on. Jesus says, I said all these things to keep you from falling away. What? This is talking to the 12 disciples. Well, there's only 11 at this time. Keep them from falling away? What do you mean? Falling away? <laughs> we don't want to do that. Jude, verse 24, says, God is able to keep you from stumbling and is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. God is able to keep us from stumbling. But if we do stumbling, thank God that we have an advocate with the Father, even the righteous Lord Jesus. Saul of Tarsus, he was hell-bent on killing believers in Jesus. He had authority to go arrest people and bring them back to Jerusalem and kill them. For what? Blasphemy? Who? <gasps> That's crazy. Just because somebody says something in some countries. Oh, there was a video on YouTube. There's three or four young ladies Kicking a Bible around, ah, ha, ha, laughing, kicking it back and forth. Ha. What would happen if those girls were kicking a Koran? Try doing that. We've been warned. Don't be surprised. God is able to keep us from falling away. They'll put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think they're doing service to God. This happens in some countries. That's why being baptized is such an important thing. In some countries, if you get baptized and they, authorities find out about it, they could put you in prison, they could torture you, they could kill you for it. I had a, a friend that worked in Saudi Arabia many years ago and he witnessed a beheading. And he said the reason they do that is because they think if you get your head cut off, you go straight to hell. But if your head gets accidentally cut off, that's okay. Praise <laughs> God. Hallelujah. Let's go on. And then Je Jesus said, they'll do these things because they have not known the Father in me. But I said these things to you that when the hour comes, you will remember I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm leaving. I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask, where are you going? Actually, one of them did earlier. <laughs> In chapter 14, verse 5, Thomas said to him, We do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And verse 4, first Jesus said, You know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said, We don't know that. Where are you going? And then Jesus said, How, do you, how are we going to get there? He's going back to the Father is what he's doing. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, excuse me, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
Here's a good one here. But then Jesus goes on. He says, you, you guys are sad? Well, listen here. I'm telling you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. To your advantage. In the King James, it's profitable, it says, for you to go away. It's a Greek word which means expedient. Not just convenient. It's expedient. And anybody uh, ever go online and uh, you go to Expedia.com? You get stuff quick. Jesus is going to the Father, and the result is because he goes, the Holy Spirit comes back. So it's for our benefit. In Christ, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, the whole fullness of deity or divinity or the Godhead dwelt in bodily form. It's the Spirit of God who draws men's heart. Funny thing is, <clears throat> after the resurrection in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, they still don't get it. They ask Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? They're, they're looking for, get rid of the Romans, set up the kingdom like David had, but Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, the Holy Spirit will come because Jesus leaves. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we don't have time for all this right now. That's a whole sermon in itself. Concerning sin because they don't believe in Jesus and their sins can't be forgiven. Concerning righteousness because he goes to the Father, you'll see me no more. The righteousness of God is fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus. Martin Luther, before he started the Protestant Reformation, he had a problem. He said, I did not like to hear that phrase, the righteousness of God, because he was trying to do, use his own righteousness. But the Bible says in Isaiah that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and useless. And so the righteousness of God became available through Jesus. And then concerning judgment, because the ruler, the puny ruler of this world is judged. <laughs> They're going to look on him and say, is this the one that caused the nations to tremble? They will convict the world of sin because they don't believe in Jesus. Jesus had to leave so that the Spirit could come back. Now the word convict means to convince or to refute or expose, to bring to shame. That's why people don't like to be told anything because they don't want to be ashamed. Because they may probably have shame or they're ashamed of some of the things that they did. Uh, most people have stuff, uh, what they call skeletons in the closet. I don't want anybody to know what I did. Somebody sent a letter to a prominent businessman in a certain city, said, I know what you did. I'm going to the press. And they sent this letter, I believe the story goes to like four or five prominent business people in this certain city and all of them left town. Because they didn't know what this person knew. This person, even though they wrote, I know what you did, maybe it was something good that they knew they did, and they were going to praise them. But their guilty conscience caused them all to leave town. Hallelujah. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, it says, Jesus wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has taken it out of the way, nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, and he made a public spectacle of those rulers by triumphing over them at the cross. 
The good thing about the conviction of the Holy Spirit is that it comes with not only that sense of guilt, but relief from guilt. We can be forgiven and released from the handwriting and the ordinances that were against us. Relief. A lot of people, uh, they, they're overwhelmed by guilt. And because of that, some people commit suicide. What a sad, sad way to do things when it's so readily available to come to Jesus and find forgiveness and release and relief from that burden. Praise God. We'll finish up here. Jesus said, I still had many things, but you cannot bear them now. The Spirit of truth will guide you into all the truth because he doesn't speak of his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare it to you. The things that are to come will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So it's kind of like the chain of command. You've got the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost now. So we have one more verse. Trinity is not in the Bible. It doesn't matter. The idea is in there. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. In Christ, the wholeness or the fullness of the deity, divinity, the King James calls it the Godhead. That's the Trinity, the Godhead, dwelt in bodily form here on earth. And he will take what is Jesus's and give it to us. Declare to you things that will come. Not everything John says later on in his gospel, not everything that Jesus did was written, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and believing you may have eternal life.